It's time for the most interactive radio program in Las Vegas today. It's time for Pushing the Limits with Brian Shapiro. Brian will talk sports, politics, entertainment, and anything that matters to you. Feel free to call Brian at 702-221-7283. You want answers? I want the truth! Now pushing the limits, here's Brian Shapiro. All right, what's up, everybody? It is uh, Pushing the Limits uh, on a Wednesday, hump day. So glad that you can join us. And oh boy, we got a pretty busy news day. We got a lot to get to, a lot to talk about. And I am so glad you are joining us. Of course, the State of the Union address was last night, Joe Biden in Washington. And uh, we have everything, everything from uh, George Santos, Mitt Romney uh, getting into it, uh, to Republicans uh, showing no class and interrupting Biden during his speech. We'll get down to the meat and potatoes of what was in the speech. Uh, great reporter Daniel Lippman from Politico is going to be joining us at the bottom of the hour to kind of give his take on everything, who won, who lost. Oh, yeah, and Sarah Suckabee Sanders. Uh, sorry, that's my nickname for her. I can't help myself. Uh, her reaction to uh, the speech was <laughs> mesmerizing. And, you know, some of this stuff is very, very personal to me, and I'm going to get into that and why, especially when the president talked about fentanyl. Joining me today in studio, very happy to have her here. Of course, the eight-time Emmy winner. Uh, always fun having Michelle Mortensen joining me as my co-host in studio. Michelle, thank you so much for being here, as always. Uh, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing all right. You know, it's a... Uh... You need my mic closer. Don't be afraid okay. of that there microphone, you Michelle. You know, I'm so loud. I'm not as loud as Chris Wynn, but I'm so loud that I'm used to keeping mics really far away from me. Uh, but today's a good day. It's uh, it's my birthday. It's my daughter's birthday. I didn't know it was your birthday. So, today. Happy birthday. Yeah. Happy 21st. Thank you. I'm 21. My daughter turned 11. Yes. I'm, wow, that's yeah. really young to have a kid. Right? What was it like bearing a child at 12 years exactly. old? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's cool. Uh, happy birthday. Yeah, good day. Thank you. You Thank have to you. spend part of of your birthday with me. I really feel sorry for you. Right? But, uh, oh, yeah. no, no, no. It's good. So before we get into um, the seriousness of, of some of the stuff that took place last night, not that the George Santos stuff isn't serious, but I figured I would start the show with something a little lighthearted, okay. and that is uh, Mitt Romney and George Santos getting into it. Now, Michelle, I've been pretty um, opinionated both on George Santos and Mitt Romney. I've always said this about Mitt Romney. While I don't always agree with him on a lot of political issues, I've always believed that Mitt Romney is a decent human being. Okay. I don't think Mitt Romney is a bad guy. I think he has some decency in him. And I wouldn't say that about, in my opinion, a lot of other Republicans today uh, in office. Okay. Mitt Romney calls it as he sees it uh, for the most part. And we know what's gone on, Michelle, with George Santos over the last couple months. I mean, there, there's embellishing. And then there's lying, right? I mean, George Santos has lied pretty much about everything in his life from his mother's death to where he went to college, uh, to saving dogs, which we know he didn't. And he stole money apparently from, from, from some of those uh, GoFundMe pages. I don't know. It's just, we all know. I think everybody knows by now. George Santos is a pathetic human being, a liar and, and he's just an awful person. So anyway, Michelle, it goes as this. <laughs> George Santos yesterday, he's not sitting in the back, right? He's right in front, shaking people's hands, making himself noticed, trying to shake Joe Biden's hand. Biden refused to shake his hand, thank God. Um, but he's like right in there. And Mitt Romney's like maybe third or fourth row. Rightfully so. He's been in office for a long time. Um, everybody knows who he is. Well, it turns out that Santos was standing in front of the aisle and Mitt Romney and Santos had a little jawing of the bit. If you're a lip reader... Mitt Romney basically said, you shouldn't be here. Yeah. You should be in back. You shouldn't be here. 
And then Santos responds to him saying, you will never be president. It only lasted about 10 or 15 seconds. It was a very awkward, intense exchange. I love Mitt Romney for saying that, by the way. So here's what Mitt Romney said after the State of the Union. We have some audio where members of the media are allowed to follow some of the some of the congressmen, senators as they're walking out. And uh, I love Mitt Romney for this. Uh, and I have more respect for him now. Uh, have a listen to this when he was talking to reporters after. I didn't expect that he'd be standing there trying to shake hands with every senator <laughs> in the president of the United States. That's, uh, given, given the fact that he's under ethics investigation, he should be sitting in the back row and staying quiet instead of uh, parading in front of the uh, president and, uh, and, and, and people coming into the room. Did he respond He says he, uh, you know, that he embellished his record. Look, embellishing is saying you got an A when you got an A minus. Lying is saying you you graduated from a college you didn't even attend, and and he shouldn't be in Congress. And uh, they're going to go through the process and hopefully get him out. And uh, but he shouldn't be there. And, and uh, if he had any shame at all, he wouldn't be there. Why did you make a point to say that though? I mean, you went. I mean, it was kind of out of your way to. to well, he was say standing that. right there in the aisle, shaking hands with everybody. Did he respond to you? Uh, he, he may have. I didn't hear Are anything you he said. That Kevin McCarthy is not going to resign. Yes. All right. All right. So. I agree with everything Mitt Romney just said, right? Uh, this isn't about somebody embellishing something. He said, you know, embellishing is say when you got an A, when you got an A minus. Uh, lying is w- when you lie about where you went to school. You lie about your mother's death. You lie about everything in your life, pretty much. Uh, I agree with Mitt Romney. I respect him for saying something to him. My question to you, Michelle, where are all the other Republicans? First of all, they only speak about it if they have to. McCarthy only speaks about it if he's forced to by a member of the media, why is it that Mitt Romney is more than willing to talk about Santos, more than willing to address it, and addresses it to Santos directly in public, and yet I see all these other Republicans. I mean, if I was in office right now, if I was in Congress right now, I wouldn't talk about Santos either. He's not worth my time. I, I think there's this ridiculous belief system that like, oh, well, you, you have to talk about it. No, you don't. Just because the liberals and the liberal media wants to talk about it doesn't mean I need to talk about it. I don't have to be on your narrative and I don't have to be on your timetable. Listen, this guy's an idiot. This guy's got some cojones on him. He's got far more cojones than I would ever have on myself. I don't think I could pull half the stunts this chucklehead has, has pulled. Um, I, I can't believe he pulls what he does. Um, but that doesn't mean that it needs to be on our lips 24-7. I, I don't know why Republicans need to talk about this guy all the time. It's not like when Ruben Keyun was was in his uh, in his failure that that Democrats were talking and have Ruben Keyun on his lips at all times. You don't have to talk about this guy. In fact, I think the better thing to do is ignore this guy. This guy does not matter. He is not going to be in office at least in two years from now when there's a re-election. There's no way this chucklehead's getting re-elected. Why give him any time? If you're giving him time, you're just giving more fodder to the media. I would ignore him. That's what I would do. I would ignore him. Well, the reason why I don't think anybody should ignore him is because it's beneath office, and I don't think anybody should be in office that uh, behaves, lies, and says the things that he has said over the course of, of his short career. That's why I think it should be addressed. I don't think it should be talked about 24-7. And yeah, for the most part, I think people should ignore him. The problem that I have is that so many Republicans out there, unlike Mitt Romney, don't have a problem with Santos uh, being in the front 
row, shaking hands, oh, no, no, no. making. I, I think you're making now you're making assumptions because, number one, we haven't interviewed every Republican who was there. Did you have a problem with the way Santos was acting? You might have. That doesn't mean that you're going to say something. I mean, I, quite honestly, the way I understood it and I could be wrong, the way you're seated is based on your Mm-hmm. level of importance. <laughs> um, so if you're if you're higher up, you know, you're in front row seating, you're important, you're a Supreme Court justice, you're Nancy Pelosi, you're somebody, you, you're someone who has got quite a bit of seniority in either the House or this, the Senate. New members are kind of in the back. <laughs> the newer members are in the back. They don't get the, the plush seating. They don't get the, the, the plush assignments. They don't get any of that. Why Chuckles was, you know, strolling on up, trying to act like he was a big dog, I don't know. But this guy's got a set on him that's bigger than anything I could ever yeah, imagine. I, I don't, I, I hear what you're saying. I understand. But I guess where we differ is I don't characterize it like that. To me, when you have cojones, that means you save somebody's life or you do something for the good of the people. Uh, I don't think it takes cojones, so to speak, to blatantly lie about your entire life. I think it takes somebody that is a despicable human being. When I, when I hear the term, oh, you got a set of cojones on you, it's because you stand up for, for, for what you believe in and what is right. Some people have it. Some people don't. Uh, in fact, I would say Mitt Romney has that because he's risked his political career for. No, I think for- you misunderstood though. I don't think he has cojones because he lied. I think where what I'm saying is to be such a liar, to be under investigation, to be under such media scrutiny, mm-hmm. and to waltz your rear end right up there to the front, acting like you belong. Hey, hey, let me shake hands with the president. What, what, what? Acting yeah. like you are the the man. That took some cojones because okay. at the end of the day, I think Mitt Romney was right. Most people, yeah. most people would be sitting in the yeah. back. Most people would not be drawing attention to themselves when they're yeah. under such fire. This chucklehead does not care. Well, what I like about Mitt Romney... There's some things I like about Mitt, number one, but uh, in this specific situation, he didn't wait for the media to come up to him and do something about it. He addressed it with George Santos right to his face. I appreciate that about Mitt Romney. He did it in public. And uh, anyway, uh, I I appreciate Mitt Romney for doing that. Before we get to some audio, and we're going to have Daniel Littman from Politico coming on at the bottom of the hour, and we'll address a lot of things with him. I want to talk about something, Michelle, that is uh, sadly near and dear to my heart. Because as you know, my sister died of a drug overdose at the young age of 37, less than a month ago. And there was a part of Joe Biden's speech yesterday where he talked about fentanyl. And then he spoke to a father, parents, of a young 20-year-old girl who died of a drug overdose, fentanyl overdose. Very emotional moment, right? And leave it to some Republicans to take that moment and once again make it political. Congressman Andy Ogles, who in my eyes and my estimation is a despicable human being, took that moment upon himself to shout out, it's your fault, interrupting Joe Biden's speech when Joe Biden was talking about fentanyl. I don't want anybody to take my sister's death and turn it into something political. We know that the drug cartel is smuggling fentanyl across the border. But here's something that, you know, Republicans either are unaware of or don't want to talk about because they want to blame Joe Biden for every, apparently every fentanyl overdose and every death in this country, which by the way is absurd. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas said it was 
unequivocally false that fentanyl is being brought to the United States by non-citizens encountered in between the ports of entry who are making claims of credible fear and seeking asylum. The vast, vast majority is sought to be smuggled through ports of entry and tractor-trailer trucks and passenger vehicles, and the overwhelming majority of those people, you guessed it, are Americans, American citizens. Does that mean that, you know, some fentanyl isn't crossing the border by illegal immigrants? No, some are. But to suggest, like Congressman Andy Ogles, who interrupted Joe Biden yesterday and said it was all his fault, when Joe Biden seconds earlier just introduced grieving parents, just like my parents are going through right now, and made it immediately political, when Joe Biden was not trying to be a divider, definitely not being a divider in that moment, trying to get Republicans and Democrats to work together to come up with solutions. It doesn't mean that you're going to agree with everything that the Democrats say or vice versa. And this congressman took it upon himself to make it political immediately, interrupting the president and saying, it's all your fault. Um, Michelle, it's, you know, I take this, uh, it's near and dear to my heart um, after losing my sister. Um, it's just, it's very difficult for me to talk about. And uh, my heart goes out to that family uh, and those parents that were there. It's terrible, 20 years old. Um, but these Republicans that heckled Joe Biden, and we'll talk about other moments, but in that moment, to me, Michelle, it was just uh, well, despicable. Here's So in, in hearings that happened yesterday on Capitol Hill, um, a border chief was interviewed by members of the House and said that the cartels are in total control of the border right now, that the cartels are in 100% of control of the border. So whether you Who are said that? The bo- one of the border chiefs. One of the border chiefs? Yes, said mm-hmm. that yesterday. It, it was documented, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. So the cartels are in control of the border. We all know it. You know it. I know it. Everyone knows it. The cartels are in control right now. So if you are a regular just person who wants to be able to cross the border, you're going to need the cartels' help. If you're doing it illegally, which is what the majority of people are doing right now, crossing illegally, not even going through the regular ports of entry, but even if you're going through the ports of entry, normally you need cartels' help. The cartels are bringing drugs over, like fentanyl, at record numbers. That is true. Fentanyl overdoses are happening at outrageous numbers all across this country. And there are too many families like yours that are suffering today because they have lost loved ones to someone who's taken a pill that they did that they did not know was fentanyl and it has taken their lives and it is absolutely tragic. It is absolutely horrific. Even Biden in his speech was talking about needing to do more at the border to stop the fentanyl from flooding over. So we can't act for one minute like the border is not the problem whether fentanyl is coming through. I mean, Joe Biden yesterday even said that he wants FedEx getting more involved to help try to stop the fentanyl that's coming across the border. I'm like, I'm not sure it's really FedEx's job. That's an interesting uh, thing to put out there. Uh, but at the end of the day, even Joe Biden acknowledges, everyone acknowledges the problem is the border. We have a fentanyl problem in this country and it does indeed need to be addressed. If you didn't like the heckling, that's an opinion and and you're free to have that opinion. But at the end of the day, quite honestly, no one is addressing the problem at the border and especially the just the massive amounts of fentanyl that are coming across from Canada and Mexico. Let let me ask you a question and then I'll, I'll address some of the other points that you made. Are you okay with members of Congress or senators 
in the chambers when the president of the United States is introducing a family that is grieving the loss of a 20-year-old daughter to a fentanyl overdose. Are you, Michelle, yourself personally okay with a congressman and others shouting things out like it's all your fault, secure the border. Are you, do you think that's appropriate? It doesn't really matter what I think in other countries. Well, I think like it in, does. It really doesn't. In other countries, like in England, in Parliament, people yell and scream at each other like this all the time. But I'm not asking. This I'm, was the most colorful we've seen Congress be. And again, as we discussed yesterday, that's what this speech is about. You either, you know, in, back in the day in the 80s and the 90s, when we were a little less colorful than we are today, it was just Republicans sitting like this when it was a Democrat talking and when it was a Republican. Republican talking, it was Democrats sitting like this, and then the opposite party standing up. Remember, this is a partisan speech. It is for partisans and only for partisans. And it's not about respect. This is about political theater. It has absolutely nothing to do with respect. And I can guarantee you this the four times, I'm sorry, the three times that Trump gave a State of the Union, you probably loved it when Nancy Pelosi was rude and tearing up the script. You probably loved it and did not think anything Nancy Pelosi ever did was disrespectful. And, and, And that's because you hate Trump. And you think Trump You're is wrong. awful. You're wrong. But at the end of the day, this is the way the right and the left have acted during these unnecessary okay. state well, of the unions for years. Okay, so it I'll- doesn't matter. And, 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 and you acting like it does is kind of ridiculous because it, it doesn't matter. Okay, well, I completely 100% disagree with you. And you totally just mischaracterized my opinions on what Nancy Pelosi did because you're wrong. So you, had a, I, you, you I, thought I, Nancy Pelosi I'm was gonna, wrong for tearing up the script. I'm going to explain to you. I thought it was stupid. And I called her that. Uh, I thought ripping up a speech is going to do nothing and it made her seem small and I didn't like it. So you're wrong. Um, I don't like anybody interrupting the president during the state of the union. Uh, Democrats booed. Sure. But I can tell you when the president spoke during the state of the union and when he had just introduced somebody that had lost a loved one, Democrats weren't interrupting him and saying, it's all your fault. That didn't happen. Yes. When Donald Trump introduced Rush Limbaugh and gave him a medal, which was an absolute joke, by the way. Yes, there were Democrats that didn't like that very much. But I can guarantee you that there weren't Democrats that were screaming at him seconds after he just introduced somebody that lost their life. And here's where I also disagree with you. I do think it matters because it shows you how immature, whether it's left or right, and how pathetic some members in office are today that they find it in themselves to want to make a soundbite for themselves for the red meat of a party, in this case, the Republican Party, to scream out liar like Marjorie Taylor Greene did yesterday because she is despicable. And for a congressman, and it does matter, it matters to me. It matters to you. And that's what I'm saying. It's your opinion. And you are free to And I opinion, think it matters to a lot and, of other people also. I think it matters to a bunch of people who think exactly like you do. And I think they're That quite, we should have decency in, in office? No, I think it matters to people who, who hate Republicans and really think Joe Biden's doing a good job. I just said both sides it shouldn't happen. I, it has nothing to do whether Joe Biden's doing a good job or not. That's not my opinion. And that's fine. It's your opinion. And you're free to your opinion. But your opinion is not fact and your opinion is not truth. Your opinion is your opinion. So you're okay. I, 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 uh, no, you can't make it. No, see, now I'm you're, asking trying to make, you. no, you're trying to make it about me. I'm saying well, you're, you're not free, answering me because that's I don't have to answer you. You're free to have your opinion on this topic. So you don't have an opinion. Your opinion is not truth. What I would do if I was a member of Congress and how I would behave is that's for me to decide how I would behave. And what I understand I would do. that. I'm just asking but you I'm if saying, you think it's appropriate. I that's don't all. have an issue with it. No, I don't have 
have an issue with it. Okay. Would I do it? Do I think Marjorie Taylor Greene should have been wearing her white freaking fur sweater and, and doing her little antics? No, I think Marjorie Taylor Greene is disgusting and I don't really like her and I can't believe she's an idiot who's in Congress and that's coming from a very conservative Republican. She's not the best of us. So she's not my fave. But just because she's not my fave doesn't mean that I'm like, oh, well, she should sit on her hands. I actually enjoy the way Parliament acts. I think it's entertaining and great. I like that Parliament, uh, when you're watching Parliament in the UK, how they're yelling at each other and calling. I think it's entertaining. I think it's fun. Let me tell you, most things in politics are boring. Most things in politics are absolute theater. It was nice to have a little bit of life because Joe Biden's speech was very bland, very boring. It wasn't invigorating at all. At least there was some liveliness there. I'm not saying I condone it. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just saying I don't have an issue with it like you do. You're free to have an issue with it. It's okay that that's your opinion, but your opinion is not truth. It's your opinion. Well, um, I'm just, I'm surprised. I'll be honest with you. I'm surprised that you're okay with... It's Democrat. not. No, you're not. It's not about me being okay. You're flipping it onto me. It's well, not about what I personally think. You just it's said about, it's, it's not a big deal. You it's, just. It's not a big deal because it's not a big deal. Just do you have a problem with Parliament? Do you have a problem with the way they act no, in Parliament? No, I'll tell you what I have a problem with. <laughs> I have a problem with the president of the United States, whether it be a Republican or a Democrat. In this case, it was Joe Biden introducing a family who just lost a loved one, and Michelle literally seconds. After he told the story of this 20-year-old who died of a drug overdose, you have Republicans that are standing up, interrupting the president of the United States during the State of the Union, and making it immediately political and saying, it's your fault. But everything's political. I have a problem this with that. This was a political speech. Everything is political, Brian. There was nothing about this speech whether that was political. political. Or, whether it's political or not. you just said he made it political. Of course he made it political. It's a political speech. Everything about this was political. This was Joe Biden's campaign launch. He hasn't officially launched his campaign, but that's what this was. Right, well, we'll talk about that because, again, <laughs> this, I, I disagree with your saying that this was just a simple partisan speech. There were certainly Every points- State of the Union is okay. a partisan speech. There were, there were certain points in this speech where certainly he leaned to the left on democratic issues, but there were also plenty of moments in the speech where he talked about Republicans and Democrats coming together. Here's what we both accomplished. If you want to talk about a partisan speech, and we'll get to this later, let's talk about Sarah Huckabee Sanders calling the entire Democratic Party and members in the party crazy. Joe Biden didn't talk like that, so I disagree with you. I don't. Uh, there were moments in the speech that certainly leaned to the left on Democrats and what they believe in, but I think if you asked most people, they would tell you this speech was not necessarily a partisan speech, but this was a speech about bringing us together, not separating us. If anyone said it wasn't a partisan speech, they're a liar. It is a Democrat president getting ready to run for re-election, giving a state of the union, which is there to say, I'm the best. Look at the great job I've done. Let's keep it going. In fact, what was his saying? He said it over and over. Let's get the job done. Let's get the job done. Let's get the job done. This was a political speech. It is always a political speech. It will never not be a political speech. But you said it was only partisan. I disagree with you. It is partisan because he's a Democrat and he wants to get elected. But I'm talking about the substance of his Sarah, the substance of the speech was also partisan. Okay, Sarah well, Huckabee Sanders' speech was also partisan, as it should have been. It was a Republican <laughs> response. It was not supposed to be a nonpartisan speech. Okay. That's why it's well, a Republican my, response. Well, here's my opinion. This is why Joe Biden is the president of the United States, and this is why, uh, in my personal opinion, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was not speaking to the country. She was just speaking to Republicans, the Republican base. Uh, there were plenty of moments, which we will play, 
uh, where Joe Biden was actually praising Republicans. There were moments in the speech where Joe Biden said he was looking. Uh, well, I'll play them for you. Jake, I mean, the, I, I listened to the whole speech. I don't know if you did, but there were moments in the speech where Joe Biden, first of all, he said he looked forward to working with with House Speaker McCarthy. He thanked Republicans for for working with Democrats and named some of the bills that were put forth, not saying, well, I did this, I did that. I want to thank both sides of the aisle for doing this and doing that. That's not partisan. That's bringing people together. And then I'll play some cuts a little bit later at the end of the speech. Again, it wasn't about Democrats. It was about we can do this as a country. Nothing in Sarah Huckabee Sanders' speech was, hey, I want to thank Democrats for this. Or no, it was all Democrats are crazy. Republican response is not supposed to. You can dislike Sarah Huckabee's response. That's neither here nor there. Just like I can dislike Biden's State of the Union. Again, that's neither here nor there. But just so you know, these speeches are not necessarily unifying speeches. These speeches are not there to be Let's bring everybody together. That that's not what they're designed to be. That that's not their point. That's not their purpose. That's not why they're given. That's not why they're done. So if that's what you wanted, that's fine. But that goes against hundreds of years of how this has worked. Okay. Well, I mean, for hundreds of years, Republicans and Democrats have struggled to work together and obviously something's not working, but I will say this in closing. Um, we obviously disagree on this. Um, I could just tell you, it doesn't matter whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, in my personal opinion, um, standing up and call the president a liar or interrupting his state of the union speech or seconds after introducing a family that's grieving because they lost their daughter to a fentanyl overdose and then seconds getting up and making it about you saying it's all your fault to the president to me is beyond inappropriate beneath uh, what 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 should be as you as a member of the House, whether you're a congressman or a senator. It, it shouldn't happen in this country. It's disrespectful. It's disgusting. And it shouldn't happen. That's my personal opinion. So yes, then will right. you stop calling Trump a liar? Will you stop calling people names like Sarah Huckabee? Sure. Huckabee I'll answer that. Anders. I'll answer that. Here's the, <laughs> I'll answer that. Here's the difference. And the answer is no. And here's why. If I was in the House chambers as a member of office, I would not get up in the middle of Donald Trump's speech and call him a liar. Why? Because it's wrong. There's a fine line between doing it on a radio show or even doing it, Michelle, in your private time. And then if you're a member of office interrupting the president of the United States. So the answer is no. I would never do that if I was a member of office, no matter how much I hated or couldn't stand the person that was speaking up there. Why? Because it's wrong, especially I'll give you even another example. If I had a family member in studio right now, Michelle, and we were talking about a fentanyl overdose or let's just say gun violence. Seconds after a grieving family spoke, I wouldn't start making it political immediately. And I, you know, no, I would show empathy towards that family because that's, I'd like to think I'm a person of empathy. I think it's a, it's a very, not a very fair analogy to compare me calling Donald Trump the orange turd on a radio show. And then a member of office that is an elected official in the middle of the State of the Union address, seconds after he introduces a family grieving, losing a daughter to a fentanyl overdose, interrupting the president, making it political, saying, you did this, it's your fault. I just think there is a fine line there, Michelle, and I think that's an unfair analogy. That's my opinion. I think the big problem is, and I do believe that Donald Trump is part of the problem for this, is that we as a society have become so disrespectful that you call him an orange turd. You sure. call her Sarah B. Sarah Suckabee Sanders. Mm-hmm. You use all that. And we've, it's become so, so 
colloquial. It's become so normal. It's become such a roll off the tongue, right? That everybody does it all the time, just calling everybody names, making fun, making fun, making fun, that it's now bled in to areas where it shouldn't happen, like Congress, where I agree with you, the type of person that I am, if I'm sitting here with someone who's just shared their story, there's no part of me that's going to be disrespectful, even if I disagreed with them, no part of me that's going to be disrespectful or rude to them in any way, shape, or form. I will only give them the respect and honor that they are due. But what I'm saying is we as a society have had such a degradation of respect, such a degradation of respecting people, and we throw names around and call people orange turd, call people liar. I mean, my God, we called Trump a liar every second of every day in that four years that he was in office, well, that now we yeah. blurred the lines and people no longer know the difference between right and wrong. And it really is a problem from when I was in the media and we were constantly attacking news reporters and journalists to what the way we treat everyone today. The lines have been blurred. And I do think that overall in society, we have gone way too far and we need to bring it back. The problem well, is we never will. Congress people do know the difference between right and wrong. They just choose that they don't care. Uh, and that's my point, Michelle. Um, Congressman Andy Ogles didn't care. He didn't care about that family that lost a daughter because he made it about himself. And he stood up during Joe Biden's speech and he said, it's your fault when talking about 70,000 fentanyl overdoses per year in this country. That's my point. Uh, we're just going to have to agree to disagree on that. I think it's beneath office for anybody to do that. And I also think it is a fine line between somebody calling the president a name on a radio show and then an elected official in the House chambers during the State of the Union address. Um, no, I would never do that, whether Donald Trump is speaking or Joe Biden is speaking, if I was in that room. Why? Because it's wrong. Um, and I guess we'll have to leave it at that, but I, I certainly want to uh, play some cuts for you, Michelle, later on in the show. You know, we'll talk about the speech and, uh, we will, uh, have commentary there. Coming up next, though, a guy that I certainly have a great respect for, and we're going to ask him about this. Uh, Daniel Littman from Politico is going to be joining us next. His thoughts on uh, what we've been talking about and the speech in general. Take a quick break. Be back right after this. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. <laughs> Buddy, are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is. Because why be a sub when you can be a hero? Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County, 
No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you, his relationships with the prosecutors and judges, and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. Hey everybody, it's Brian Shapiro from Pushing the Limits. I want to tell you guys about Sahara West Urgent Care and Wellness. They're conveniently located on the southwest corner of Sahara and Jones. They're open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. At Sahara West Urgent Care, they'll take care of all your health care needs. They offer routine services such as physicals, STD testing, car accident treatment and work injuries. You name it, they do it. They have on-site x-ray, EKG, ultrasound, and labs. They treat chronic conditions such as asthma, blood pressure, diabetes, and more. They also offer general wellness exams and treatments such as testosterone enhancement and cancer screening. They're located on Sahara, 6125 West Sahara Avenue. Their number is 702-248-0554. And the best part, they accept most major insurances and affordable cash pay prices, office visits starting at just $95. And I'm also a client. So please give them a call, 702-248-0554. The Klondike Casino is a friendly local spot that features their signature restaurant, the Klondike Grill, serving up fresh food fast. Open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner just off the 95 freeway on Sunset Road in Henderson. You will find the Klondike Casino featuring all your favorite games from the strip in the comfort of a neighborhood casino. You can place a bet at their full-service sports book or start your day with a breakfast plate that comes with your choice of potato and toast. Or check us out for lunch or dinner and try one of our many sandwiches like the popular beer-battered fish sandwich or the Philly cheesesteak. Check out the full menu at klondikesunset.com. Welcome to Hash House A-Go-Go, where we've been serving farm food and crafted cocktails for over two decades. Visit us for the full Hash House experience at any of our five Las Vegas locations. Hash House A-Go-Go is where old school meets new and gets twisted. We bring people together over good food and fun. Come in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and come hungry because our portions are huge. Visit us online to see our entire menu at hashhouseagogo.com. Hash House A-Go-Go. It's a Midwest thing, and there's nothing else like it. Is your dog suffering from a sensitive stomach? Hi, it's Kelly the Cookie Lady from Mooch's Munchies. Our dogs had super sensitive tummies, and I needed to find a low-fat treat that wouldn't give them gas or other issues. Most of the treats on the market were loaded with fillers, chemicals, and chicken fat. Many of them weren't even food. Well, I knew I could do better, so I developed Mooch's Munchies, and I'm happy to be able to share them with you. Stop by our store or our website, moochesmunchies.com, and find out why we say that Mooch's Munchies are totally possum. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you, his relationships with the prosecutors and judges, and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555.
All right, welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Wednesday. So glad you could join us. Of course, we're talking about uh, the State of the Union last night and uh, everything and anything that was the speech and the aftermath and and uh, the drama. And I figured what better person to talk about this than, of course, great reporter for Politico, uh, Daniel Lippman, joining us right now on the line. Daniel, I appreciate you being here, sir. How are you? Uh, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate you coming on, on on what is, of course, a very busy news day. Hey, before we get into the speech, we were talking about this a little bit last segment. What did you make of that Mitt Romney George Santos tense exchange for about 15 or 20 seconds. What did you make of that? Well, I think it was pretty wild in terms of this was the old Republican Party back when Mitt Romney was the standard bearer. And now that was, you know, several years ago when he was running against Barack Obama. And now it's represented by someone like George Santos and Marjorie Taylor Greene, who interrupted President uh, Biden multiple times by yelling liar and the border. Uh, And so the party decorum has kind of fallen off a little bit and Mitt Romney was mad about that and wants to bring it back. Agree with you. Let's talk about the shouting because uh, we we had a last segment talking about this and you know Daniel it's it's close to my heart right because my sister passed away 3 weeks ago of 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 a fentanyl overdose and when Joe Biden spoke my about thank you I appreciate that Daniel and uh you know, when, when Joe Biden brought up the 70,000 plus people a year that are dying from fentanyl, you know, obviously close to my heart. And then he introduced that family, as you know, Daniel, uh, who lost a 20 year old. It's devastating. It's horrible. And Daniel, as you know, seconds after that, Congressman Andy Ogles stands up and yells, it's all your fault. And my response is that is despicable. First of all, it's not all Joe Biden's fault. Number two, is that where we are as a country now? Where, you know, we should be thinking about that family and all those that have died. Yeah, let's come up with solutions. But for him to stand up and do that, I thought it was so despicable of the congressman to do that. No, I think it's kind of indicative of how, you know, just, you know, standards of behavior and the culture of respect has really declined in our country on both sides of the aisle, but especially among Republicans in terms of, uh, just, you know, a number, not, not all Republicans, not even a majority of Republicans, but a small minority of Republicans, uh, they, um, uh, kind of are, they, you know, they were given license by President Trump to say whatever they want, wanted. And so, right. uh, when, when that guy was saying, well, it's all your fault. Well, there's actually, what about blaming the Mexican cartels? I thought that was their fault for, uh, bringing in fentanyl. And what about China for letting, the precursors in, you know, to cross their border. So it's, you know, there's a lot of people who are responsible for something like the awful drug overdose epidemic we have. I I agree with you. Uh, if you're just joining us, Daniel Lippman from Politico. Um, so there was a moment there where I thought it was pretty poignant where Joe Biden is talking about Medicare, Social Security, as you know, there's a couple of Republicans in office like Mike Lee and Rick Scott are on the record pretty much saying they're going to get rid of Medicare and Social Security. Republicans stood up, Marjorie Taylor Greene calling Joe Biden a liar. I thought that was an, uh, one of the most interesting moments of last night. What did you make of that? What I thought was interesting about that was it got much less attention than it was when Joe Wilson said that uh, when Obama was in office. And he made that outburst, and he actually apologized, I think, the next day or that night for doing that. It was kind of uh, unplanned on his part. It just came out of his mouth. But here, now they're embracing it. They know exactly what they're doing. Uh, and it actually gives more energy to 
to Biden and it gives him more attention on what he is saying about Social Security and Medicare. And so that's actually good news for Democrats, although it, you know, it's good news for these Republicans who say that, too, so that they can go back to their base and get more donations and be more uh, well-known for that. And now, now people like us were talking about uh, those types of comments. And so it's like, you know, the Andy Warhol, 15 minutes of fame for everyone, and they want to get some of that. Uh, they want to steal some of that thunder. And what I thought was crazy was Kevin McCarthy, the speaker, he, Republican speaker, he was having to shush yeah. multiple times. It seemed like every 10, 15 minutes when he could hear Republicans getting too rowdy and he wanted to uh, to check that. Almost like a kindergarten teacher. I mean, that's really what it looked like to me. And, and that's embarrassing. And that's a bad look for anybody, whether it be Republican or Democrat. In this case, it was Republicans yesterday. Um, what did you make of Mike Lee? Because Mike Lee, after Joe Biden made those statements about Social Security and Medicare, Mike Lee had this big frown on his face like it was so ridiculous what Joe Biden was saying. Yet there's audio, as you know, Daniel, of Mike Lee years back verbatim saying he wants to get rid of Medicare, saying he wants to get rid of Social Security. How does Mike Lee not know that? Does he think people are that stupid? No, it's a good it's a good question about his motivations. And so I think it's they know that these are these are policy positions that are not popular with most Americans. And most Americans, uh, they either are they you know they know elderly people or they want to take advantage of Social Security or Medicare when they do retire. And you don't want to have to pay into something for decades your hard-earned money when there's inflation and you could be using that money for other purposes uh, and pay into something that you don't actually get to reap the benefits of. And so yeah. uh, I thought it was interesting to see how Biden was talking about how we should protect seniors, we should never cut these programs. And it almost indicates that the gerontocracy is alive and well, because what about young people who uh, are facing these programs and are going to have to pay a lot of money for people, you know, for these programs that are often very expensive. Uh, and so it's most of the members of Congress and senators, they're in the Medicare age bracket. And so, of course, they're appealing to voters like themselves uh, on these issues. I'm not talking about the merits one way or another. I'm just saying it was, I thought it was interesting that uh, prioritizing older voters was the coin of the realm last night. Yeah, yeah, no no question about that. Um, let's talk a little bit about Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I wanted to get your thoughts on her, because it seemed to me, and you tell me if you disagree with me or not, Daniel, it seemed to me Joe Biden's speech, while there were some some partisan uh, takes there and Democrat views uh, on, on policy, no question, I thought for the most part, and I try to see this with as an independent eye. It seemed to me that Joe Biden was trying to bring people together. There were times where he praised Republicans and Democrats for coming together. Didn't say, I did this, we did this. He used that term over and over again, under, uh, unlike Trump. And even saying he looked forward to working with McCarthy. And he praised Republicans uh, time and time again, really, in his speech. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, all she seemed to do was Republican red meat, calling all Democrats crazy, right? Uh, it seemed to me that it was just completely partisan what, what Sarah Huckabee Sanders did. And to me, Joe Biden's speech was more less partisan uh, than partisan. What, what would you say to that? I think that's a great point. I think when you have a Republican response or any response, either Republican or Democrat, it's going to always be going to be tough because a lot of people... A lot of viewers and Americans are going to just change the channel, watch the late shows or uh, sports or uh, you know, turn on a movie. Uh, and so 
she, I think she was really aiming towards the Republican base and not trying to persuade middle of the road voters. And she doesn't have to, and she wants to be a Republican rising star. She wants to continue that. She wants to maybe run for president one day. And so you don't do that by being conciliatory. And so I think she really wanted to talk about how the woke agenda was hurting America and that Biden was selling out the country. And so that's what she was going to say. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, um, going back to, uh, the fentanyl topic, um, I want to get your reaction to this, Daniel. So Marjorie Taylor Greene just tweeted, I'm saddened and angry to report the tragic news that three people were murdered in my district by Chinese-made and Mexican cartel-delivered fentanyl. Uh, the stats show that in the four years Donald Trump was president, uh, almost 300,000 people died of drug overdoses, and Marjorie Taylor Greene didn't have one single tweet uh, about any of that during his tenure. What do you make of that? Well, I think it's everyone, every politician is self-serving, and so... These people were not dying. Uh, they only, they didn't just start dying under the Biden administration. It's not like he was inaugurated and then, oh, we, we have a hundred people die every week or every day. And so, uh, I think it's a in, indicate, you know, it's a, it shows kind of how she, the selective memory holding. She wasn't going to be, uh, talking about this as an issue back when Trump was in office, even though Trump himself was actually, he made this the priority. Uh, and, you know, he was tasking people like Kellyanne Conway and Chris Christie to work on these issues. Uh, and we didn't see, um, you know, the results. You know, these are very tough issues to resolve. And so we have a crisis of mental health in this country. And that is, um, I think Joe Biden is also finding that it's, it's very difficult to address these yeah. issues uh, but I think anything that he can do and anything that government agencies and, and nonprofits and just people checking in on their friends and family to make sure that they're okay um, and, you know, monitoring the health of their uh, people, their loved ones, that's also very important. Right. Daniel, let's try to look at the reality of this situation, which is, I think, as you know, that if you ask most Democrats, most Democrats would probably tell you they, they probably don't want Joe Biden to run again in 2024. My question to you is, does his speech last night change anything at all? And do you think it helped or hurt him? And and your thoughts again on Republicans and, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders' speech, does it help or hurt them? Uh, does this move the needle at all one way or the other, you think? I don't think it does in the grand scheme of things. And so I think if he had totally fallen on his face uh, and flopped, then we would be having a different conversation. But he looked pretty sprightly at the age of 80 on uh, the podium, and he reassured some Democrats uh, that he was up to the task. And so he might see a bump up in his poll numbers from Democrats who were saying increasingly, hey, you shouldn't run. Uh, let's look at other alternatives. Uh, and so I think it's a matter of his, his health and whether he is ready for a, another vigorous campaign. And he's not going to have, he, you know, he can't spend it in his basement uh, this time around. So he'll have to be hitting the trail a lot. And yeah. so that is going to be taxing, but I think he wants to do it. Certainly should be an interesting couple of years leading up to 2024. Daniel Lippman, it's always a pleasure having you on and your expertise. Uh, appreciate you coming on and, and look forward to having you on again. Thank you so much.
Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, great reporter, Daniel Lippman with Politico. Uh, I really enjoy the reporters there. Uh, they hammer Democrats as well. You know, oh, liberal or no, they're not. Actually, if you actually go on Politico, they hammer Democrats when need be. They're, I, I believe they're very fair, very good journalists at a time today where we need more of that. We need fair journalism. I don't think we have a lot of that. Michelle, what are your thoughts on uh some of the comments that Daniel made. I think it's interesting that you brought up Social Security and Medicare with them because mm-hmm. I'm going to quote Politico here because I think this honestly does need to be okay. cleared up. Okay. Um, Politico fact-checked Biden's claim about desired GOP changes to the social programs and several others of the health and the economy. And this is a quote from Biden. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's the majority. Politico reports, House and Senate Republican leaders say they don't support this, but at least one senator, one, Mm -hmm. one, has broadly floated the idea. We're talking about Senator Rick Scott. He released a plan in 2022 that stated all federal legislation sunsets in five years. That's what it stated. If a law is worth keeping, Congress can pass it again. That's what it said. Scott's proposal does not specifically call for a phase-out of Medicare and Social Security, which were created generations ago through federal legislation. So one of the things that I think that, and I read CNN's fact-check, the Washington Post fact-check, and New York Times. Uh, Biden has taken something that Scott has floated and said, this is what Republicans want to do when it isn't something Republicans want to do. But I thought Daniel made up a great point that we were we were really showing in yesterday's speech how uh, the geriatric community, which is really Congress, is really like, oh, we want to keep the old people's <laughs> services in place. Here's the problem, and these are facts. Under current law, the Social Security Retirement Trust Fund is projected to run out of money in 2034, requiring benefits to be cut by more than 20%. So we can say things all we want to make people happy and say, we shouldn't touch Social Security and Medicare. We can't change it. We can't do anything to it. But the fact of the matter is, whether you're willing to talk about it today or whether you want to wait until 2034 when you're going to have to do something, no matter what, Something is going to have to be done about the way we fund Social Security and Medicare. And the proper thing for the right and the left to do is to talk about what we're going to do. Um, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to cut it. It doesn't necessarily mean, but it might mean using an alter, alternate price indexing formula, which is far too complicated to talk about on the radio. But I guess my only point is, is that you cannot sit here and just, um, say, you can't, you can't sit here and lie. And it was essentially a lie. The lie lie is that Republicans want to cut it. No Republican, no Democrat, no one wants to cut this entitlement. But it no, it is a hundred Politico just said it. So I can play you audio. (laughs) I just read it verbatim. uh, Michelle, hold on. Uh, I can play you audio of Mike Lee. I just heard it this morning. I understand. Mike Lee saying it in the past does not mean that Mike Lee today says let's cut it. But what I'm saying is I want to hear him say that. Republicans are admitting something that Democrats refuse to admit, and this is a fact as well, that whether you like it or not, Brian, 
I don't know how old your parents are. I know how old my dad is. No, you're talking about the funding of it. I know what you're about it's to say. It's going to run okay, out. So, Michelle, so you've got to come up that's with a, a solution. Different, I understand. I don't disagree that, but that's a different conversation. I have no problem with Republicans and Democrats standing up and saying, hey, we got to address the issue of funding for Medicare. I have no problem with that. What I am specifically, and there are a few. Yes, Rick Scott is one of them who has floated the idea, which well, is even absurd. Even if you can only name Rick Scott and Mike Lee, that's still only two members and Joe Biden, of 535. And Joe Biden in his speech never said all Republicans. So I don't know where you're coming from. Well, that. No, he said one. And this is the point, though. But he keeps saying it in the speeches like it's all Republican. And then he goes, oh, it's just one. And the whole Congress, like all the Republicans, got so angry at that point. And they're like, what are you talking about? We've all said we're not doing that. Yet he keeps bringing it up because it's like this goad he wants to say, like, oh, you got to stick with me because these Republicans are going to screw you. No, the Republicans aren't going to screw you. But at the end of the day, refusal to acknowledge <laughs> our spending problems. Okay. Refusal to acknowledge our spending problems. Refusal to acknowledge the problems with Social Security. Refusal to acknowledge these problems. Refusal to acknowledge the debt ceiling. Refusal to acknowledge the deficit. It will cost us one day, whether it costs my grandma, whether it costs my dad, whether it costs you and I, or whether it costs my kids. That's the real question. But we all go and pay the piper at some point. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, I can understand why some people in it today think that Republicans will screw you. Um, for lack of a better term, I'm just going by what you said. Uh, when it comes to universal health care, uh, we don't want Obamacare, but they have no replacement plan. When it comes to gun control, we want more guns, not less guns. They have no solutions. When it comes to taxes, we're going to give continue to give tax breaks for the rich. Donald Trump gave some of the biggest tax breaks for the rich in the history of this country. And I've proven to you time and time again that actually the middle class benefited from the tax cut in 2017 more than the wealthy. Also, more facts just in case you want to know it because he brought that up as well. Um, did you know that the majority of more than 50% of the tax base pays 2% or less than all income tax collected? So right now, the top 1% pays 42% of all taxes. The bottom 50% pays 2% of all income taxes. That means the 8% in the middle uh, pays the majority of the taxes. Uh, there is no... Everybody is... The, really, if nobody's paying their fair share, it's the bottom 50% not the rich. We keep spreading this lie that it is the rich who are not paying their fair share. At the end of the day, if we're all going to pay a fair share, tax should be spread out equally, and okay. it is not. When the bottom 50% pay 2% or less of all income tax, that means there's no fair okay. share. So that's based on how much money they have and how much money they're paying, but you're not basing it on the actual percentage that they have to pay. If you look at a family, and this is what Democrats talk about all the time, and this is what Joe Biden was alluding to yesterday. If you look at a, a family, uh, household income of under $100,000, let's just say. Right now, the way our taxes work, they are paying a higher percentage than a billionaire. Michelle, that's wrong. Now, you might look at that billionaire and hold on, you might look at that billionaire and say, well, wait a second, that billionaire is, is paying, you know, $8 million a year in taxes. They're paying a lower percentage than a household income of over 100 grand. And that's what Joe Biden is talking about. That's what Democrats are talking about. We're talking about tax breaks so for the rich. The 1% that pays that 42% is people who are making over 40 million a year. Mm -hmm. That 8% of people who make up 56% of the, the tax bracket, that's about uh, 7% percent out of everyone in it. That's you, me, and people who also make, you know, maybe 30 million. That's a wide bracket. That's a wide, wide. And so what we're talking about is it's really not about the 1%. 
paying their fair share. The 1% pays their freaking fair share. I don't it's what disagree. goes on with that middle because why should you and I be looped in with people who are also making maybe even $3 million a year? Why well, should we be looped into the same I, tax bracket? Well, I, I just disagree with your assessment of the top 1%. If you look at all the tax breaks and the loopholes and the Fortune 500 companies and all the loopholes that they use and the tax breaks that they have, Donald Trump, by the way, being one of them, just a several years back, he played, paid $0 in yes, taxes. Yes, in 2020, when... It, it, so that's another thing that Joe Biden said, and, and Politico corrected him on that as well. In last night's speech, he said, oh, in 2020, there was 50 Fortune 500 companies that didn't pay any taxes. That was 2020, 2020, when the majority of businesses had no income whatsoever. When we're talking about businesses like the Win and the NGM, which had no income for several months, but yet were still paying for their employees, even though they weren't working. Companies like that took huge losses. It's very disingenuous. Genuous, and it's almost lying, if you will, which is why Politico check actually fact checked him to show the lies that it's 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 misleading America. He loves to go up there and pretend that he's sleepy old Uncle Joe. Oh, I'm an old guy who's still spry enough to be up here and just boring enough to just let let you say these things, and everyone goes, Oh, I just must believe it. No, no, he's not telling you the truth, but Many of these economic ideas are so over the heads of many people that they just take it as truth because they don't know any better. So you think that uh, the wealthy, the rich, the top 1% are paying higher percentages on taxes than somebody making $30,000 a year? People who are making $30,000 a year might not even be paying taxes right now because of child-earned income tax credits and other things. People in the bottom 50%, many of them aren't even paying income taxes because they don't make enough. And when you add in child-earned income tax credits and other things, they're not even having to pay. But the bottom 50% pays 2% or less of all income taxes in America. That's just a fact. And the reason why that's the case is because uh, the rich keep getting richer and the ultra-wealthy in this country own about 90% of everything. I mean, that's... That's why the rich get rich and then you have the middle class and the poor. And when uh, again, when Joe Biden talks about it's listen, we're getting in the weeds here. To me, it's pretty simple. If you're making millions and millions of dollars a year, you should be paying a higher percentage and on your taxes. Who make millions of dollars a year pay millions of dollars in taxes. I know. <laughs> but but you're talking about a money figure and I'm talking about a percentage. And my point stands tall, which is and I stick by it. The rich should be paying a higher percentage, so, or at least the same th- percentage. Just so you know the numbers once again, the top 1% but, pays 42% of all taxes. Right. The bottom 50% pays 2% of all taxes. That that the everybody in the middle is paying on average but about your, 7%. But your so basi- guess who pays the most? But your, the top 1%. Because you're basing that on how much money they have, no matter what the percentage is. What I am trying to tell you is that the percentage that they have to pay should be higher than a family that makes 60 or 70 grand a year. I understand you're going to go back to the 2% and look at all the money that they're giving, but you're not basing it on a higher percentage. It's still a lower percentage. And that's why I have a problem with that. And that's why a lot of Democrats say, let the rich pay their fair share. But it's still true that the Donald Trump tax credit saved the middle class and the poor more money and did more to put more money in the pockets of the middle class and the lower class than it did for the upper class. If we're going to talk about fiscal responsibility... that's according to the IRS. I understand, but <laughs> if we're going to talk about fiscal responsibility then and you're going to talk about Donald Trump and, and, and taxes, then I think we should also talk about uh, the debt that Donald Trump put us in and the deficit that we were okay, in. But that was also because of COVID, which is also very, very unfair. So COVID spending is why there was so much spending in debt and deficit spending in the Trump administration. And the political actually addressed 
address this issue as well. So I'm so glad that you're bringing this all up because even Politico was calling out the lies of what happened. COVID, yes, under the Trump administration, there was a great deal of spending because of COVID. Much of that spending was bipartisan spending. In fact, much of it was stuff that the Democrats themselves demanded. Now, one of the reasons why Joe Biden is able to say that he has been able to cut the deficit is because so many of those COVID spending things have since expired. Yet at the same time, he has spent so much money that we have not seen nearly any of the benefits that we should have seen from COVID deficit spending than we should have. All also, it's also very disingenuous to say that he's that Joe Biden has done more than Donald Trump and to even blame it all on Donald Trump. Politico goes into that in great detail as well, because spending is not just done in one administration. You're often dealing with spending that was allocated in other administrations that often does not kick into place until another administration takes place. So it's very disingenuous. Yes, did Donald Trump spend a lot? But when you break down the numbers and let me find it here, uh, Joe Biden has spent more and has let me find the numbers here so I can get okay. it right. Make your well, point. Let me and just I'll find let me just respond by saying because you use the word disingenuous uh, when talking about Trump and and the deficit, and then you bring up COVID. I find that very interesting because when Republicans want to bring up the rise of gas prices and inflation, they don't want to hear the excuse of COVID. But yet when I bring up the deficit, all of a sudden it's COVID's fault. You know what? Fine. I'll buy that. I'm sure COVID had a lot to do with the deficit and and this country being put in more debt. I'll buy that. But I also think to use your terminology, it is very disingenuous to blame Joe Biden for inflation and gas prices. And then when somebody brings up COVID, no, we can't talk about that. But when it comes to Donald Trump and the deficit, let's blame COVID. That is to me the definition of being disingenuous. This is I'm quoting Politico here. If you look at the raw amount of debt, added during a presidency. Barack Obama, who governed with Biden as vice president, ranks first and Trump ranks second. Obama's figure is so much larger than Trump's, partly because he served eight years, while Trump only served four. If you divide the debt accumulated during each president's tenure by the number of years they served, Biden, with only two years in office, has seen the largest rise in debt, with Trump second and Obama third. So at the end of the day, facts are just facts. He was disingenuous there. And the truth of the matter is every president, Biden, Trump, Obama, W, they've all had outrageous spending and spending is out of control. And at some point, members of Congress, I can't tell you when the day is going to come, but at some point, members of Congress are going to have to pay the piper and you're not going to get to spend, 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 and never pay. You can raise the debt limit all you want. You can keep raising the debt limit. You can keep making allocations, but at some point it's all going to fall apart. Okay. Fair enough. We got to take a break. But as I said before, and I say again, if we're going to talk about the deficit under Trump and we're going to blame COVID for that, then Republicans can't blame Joe Biden for gas prices and inflation and not say COVID played a role there. We'll take a quick break and we'll open up the phone lines, right? Some lively conversation. We'll open up the phone lines now. 702-221-7283. Again, if you want to be a part of the program, now's the time to do so. Agree, disagree with me or Michelle. Now's your time. 702-221-7283. Your thoughts on Joe Biden's State of the Union last night. And we have some audio to play for you. And, uh, We'll, we'll certainly get to more, but give us a buzz. 702-221-7283. Call in. Take a quick break. Be back right after this. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP.
All right, welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Wednesday. So glad that you can join us. We're talking about, of course, the State of the Union address last night, and it's your opportunity to call in and share your thoughts. Maybe you agree or disagree with me or Michelle. 702-221-7283. And again, that number, 221-7283 is the number to call. Why don't we get right to the phones? And let's go to Jerry. Jerry's first up. What's going on, Jerry? Hey, how's it going, buddy? Good, man. What's on your mind? Yeah, I was just going to respond to the young lady over there that's uneducated right now. So Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm her, yeah, I'm going to let her know that, uh, you know, you're talking about COVID and all this. Well, you know what? I hate to tell you, but uh, Trump caused COVID. You know why? He had a pandemic team, top-notch pandemic team that was staged around the world. You know what he did? He He got rid of them. He got rid of them. He even cut the budget down. So basically, you really want to know, Trump basically almost ruined the world by doing that. He, he, he just almost wiped out the population by his ignorance. And because of his doing that, caused the largest deficit in world history and caused the deficit of our country because his doing that. So I hate to let you know, you know, your buddy Trump, if he would have just let the pandemic team alone, that, that would have been stopped. Like Ebola, SARS, H1N1, they would all been stopped. We wouldn't have had to wear masks. We wouldn't have to shut down schools. We wouldn't have had to do none of this because of Trump firing the pandemic teams that have been stopping viruses for over a decade. He decides to go in there. Got the team. All right, let's got let, the budget. Hang on a second, Jerry. Jerry, hang on the line. Control. Jerry, Jerry, hang on the line yeah. for me. Let's let's give Michelle a chance to uh, respond to that. Go ahead, Michelle. Um, thanks for calling, Jerry. I mean, you can call me all the names you want, but your call kind of just proved I'm right and you're wrong. You make no sense whatsoever, my friend. Well, um, let me tr- <laughs> let me try to sum up with what Jerry said. At least what I think he's trying to say, and then I'll let Jerry respond. I if think, you have to explain it for him, I he's think, not making a very good well, argument. I'm gonna. Not everybody does radio, but I'll try to shorten it up a little bit. I think what Jerry's trying to say is Donald Trump's handling of the pandemic was horrible. I agree. Number two, uh, Donald Trump did fire a lot of members of his staff and coronavirus team, and that was certainly a part of the reason of of you, you can talk about the deficits certainly I, I i think that's number two um so i think he's he's whoops there be careful there michelle uh all flustered i think i think um i jerry do i do i have you right there i think that's that's your main point right jerry well it goes farther than that because mm-hmm. this team's been working this team's these these teams ain't just stationed in our country yeah they were stationed in china yeah. and russia they were stationed in third world countries well listen South jerry you're, jerry you're not going to get uh, i appreciate the call jerry and you're not going to get an argument from me when it comes to donald trump's handling handling of covid so i think that is very fair criticism michelle maybe jerry didn't say it in the most eloquent way <laughs> but i do understand where he's coming from and jerry i am on your side uh number to call 702 I'm not sure what that has to do with the State of the Union last night. I'm not sure either. Um, he was just kind of someone who wanted to but, call to call. But that's, that's okay. But that's he, okay. He, I love. I love all. Want. I love all of my callers. Even the even the callers that call me names, uh, Michelle. I'm used to that. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you know. Anyway, seven zero two 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 one seven two eight three is the number to call. Why don't we get right back to the phone lines? And I think we're going to go to John next. Is that right? Do we have John next? Uh, yep, I'm here. Okay, go ahead, John. Thanks for calling in. What's on your mind, my friend? Hey, I, I'm not sure what, what half the country is thinking about with this uh, Trump and uh, 
Biden mess, but um, I mean, Trump is just uh, he's way out in left field. Mm-hmm. I agree. And uh, and uh, yeah, we just we got to get him out of, out of that office, even if somebody got assassinated him or, or whatever. No, whoa, 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 hold on now, uh, John. With all due respect, we can't make jokes about assassinating people. There's nothing funny about that. Wait, what did he say? Um. I don't even want to repeat okay. it. John, first of all, he said we got to get him out of there and talking about Trump. Trump's then, already out of okay, there. Okay, so that's all I heard. Then he cracked an inappropriate he made joke. A, he made it. See, this is what I am talking about. There are things that you cannot say and things that are absolutely inappropriate. We just had John call in. John, we know. Uh, making, no. Hold on. We just, okay. <laughs> we just had a guy call up making a joke about assassinating okay, somebody. Yeah, that's not cool. Let me be very clear. That's something that I will not tolerate on this show. Or even if I'm off the air, I'm not going to engage someone yeah. that makes a statement like that because that I just Plus, won't tolerate. That was baseless. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, was re- yeah, yeah. Okay. If you want to have to the John, yeah, we know. Yeah. 702-221-7283. For those that are listening or watching on social media, now's your chance. 702-221-7283. Let's go to John number two. John, what's going on, man? Hey, guys. Uh, Michelle, this is the John, you know. I, I, I missed that guy's call. I didn't hear it at all. So. Uh, hey, uh, boy. Joey B hit a grand slam last night, huh? He was on fire. You guys act a, I mean, first of all, Michelle, how many cups of coffee do you have today? <laughs> I, I don't drink coffee, and I have no idea who Joey B is either. So I'm, you've already lost me, my friend. Joey, Joey B? B the Who's Joey guy, B? The smooth Maybe. orator who delivered a knockout grand salami home run last night. Oh, you mean Joe Biden. Biden. I thought you were talking about some, like, I was like, I know LeBron, like, did something important with scoring. Yeah, we'll get to so that I was one. like, who's Johnny <laughs> B? What team does he play yeah, for? Yeah. Joe Biden. Go, go ahead. Okay, now go ahead, I'm John. following you. Go ahead, John. <laughs> no, hey, hey, Brian, you said yesterday you, you didn't know if, if Biden was a good speaker when he was younger. Uh, I'll just say this, man. He was among the best. Um, Joe Biden, when I was a young buck, was the person who made me realize, oh, to be a politician, you have to be a smooth talker. Um, but, boy, you know, these, these Republicans acting like children, he just owned them last night. Look, there's no doubt that the, George W. H. Wait, the second one, the baby, the H.W. Yes. Uh, no. W. w I'm like, yeah, H.W. H-W. is the first one. H.W. is the dad. Yeah. W. Yeah. is the second. <laughs> the second one said when he left office, his biggest regret was he didn't address Social Security. So let's, let's be crystal clear. There are some members of the Republican Party who have said out loud that they want to do away with Social Security. There are many more members who think it but just haven't said it out loud. And the way Joe Biden owned them last night. So, okay. So you agree. We're not going to touch Social Security. Let's take it off the table. I thought was brilliant. But, John, do you agree that at some point we do have to at least address how we're going to fund it? Look, I'm a blue dog Democrat. I believe in fiscal responsibility. I believe that you need to, you know, you need to fund these projects and you need to pay your bills in full. We're $38 trillion in debt. This is not the big one, okay? The big one, and, and I love the way Biden said, hey, by the way, under your, under your boy, the orange fraud, the debt increased by $8 trillion. Look it up. He, he was brilliant. Joe Biden went on the offensive in, in, in a avuncular, elderly grandfather kind of way that was just absolutely perfect. And the Republicans in there screaming and throwing tantrums, 
and booing so they can raise more money. They look like little children, and I loved it. I loved every bit about it. I thought it was tremendous. All right, John. Well, it's always good to hear from you, my friend, and uh, I'm sure we'll hear from you tomorrow. And I always appreciate you're always my favorite <laughs> caller, John. Thanks for calling in, buddy. Michelle, Michelle, I want. What are you drinking, Michelle? I want some, man. You're you're, you're, you're wired just, today. You're fired up. Just water. <laughs> I like it. I like a fired up, Michelle. John, thanks. Good to hear from you, my friend. All right, have <laughs> a good one. Guys. Thank you. All right, seven zero two 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 one seven two eight three. I prefer a fired up co-host. Seven zero two 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 one seven two eight three. Let's go to Bob. Bob is next. What's going on, Bob? Hey, how y'all doing? Good, good. Thanks for calling in. What's on your mind? Well, I I think uh, Biden was a dismal failure last night. He, uh, he told nothing but lies. Okay, so give me an example. He said, okay, he said the Republicans want to cut Social Security. No, he didn't. One, no, one he member didn't. of Congress. You just lied yourself, sir, with all due respect. <laughs> no, he did not. not. Hold on, Bob. Just this is the problem. You got to hear me out here. I heard uh, you made a statement which is incorrect. He didn't say all Republicans want to get rid of Medicare. In fact, he did said it wasn't even the majority. There are a few, and he is right. And I just named those few: Mike Lee and Rick Scott. <laughs> that is not a lie, sir. He, he never no, his said very it. Very first statement. His very first statement was Republicans want to cut social security. He said some Republicans, and then He's, then he said some, sir. Then sir. He said okay, so so he clarified. And he said some. So he is not a liar. So give me another example. Because that one was very bad, sir. Because he clarified and he said some. Okay. All of his uh, 14 uh, million new jobs are just literally people coming back to work off of COVID. Okay, so it doesn't matter whether... Okay, jobs. so, sir, it doesn't matter whether they're coming back those, to work those are off... jobs who are already there. Sir, that's not a lie. If people are coming back to work after COVID, it's still, it still is a job. And we have the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years, which is 3.4%. So you're wrong, number two. That's also not a lie. Can you please name me one lie? Because you haven't named one yet. Just those two. You just no, you didn't. I just... Are, are, what, pot, can you pot, did he hang up the phone? Of course, because he's a coward. Another moron. Sir, you just said that, Donald, you just said that Joe Biden lied that all Democrats want to get rid of Medicare and Social Security. Joe Biden did not say that. He also clarified and said there were only a few, and it wasn't the majority. You're wrong about that. That's a lie. And then I said, can you name me a, a, an actual lie? And then you went on and talked about the job creation. It doesn't matter what your opinion is on why people got back to work. He gave the statistic of unemployment, which is the lowest it's been in 50 years at 3.4%. That is also not a lie. That's what some of you right-wing buffoons do, right? You call into a show and you say, oh, Joe Biden's a liar. He's a liar. Just like when people will call in and say, Brian, you're a liar. And then I say, can you give me a specific example of something I said that's a lie? And you can't do it because you bumble all over your words and you're just not very smart, sir. I'll tell you what I want you to do. Next time you claim somebody lied to you, I know this might be very hard for you to do, Come with me with an actual quote or a fact, because you just made yourself sound very, very dumb. But ladies and gentlemen, that is Donald Trump's base today, so I'm not surprised. So let's just talk about the numbers. In raw numbers, Biden did oversee greater job growth than any post-World War II president, first or second term in office. However, this achievement does come with asterisks. Population growth skews the calculation, with Biden benefiting from a larger population, measured by percentage increase from the time the president took office, which reduces the impact of population size. Biden rates in the middle of the pack. 
And although Biden has outpaced every post-World War II president in job gains per year, he benefited by taking office on the upswing of a deep recession. He has also not faced a recession yet, something most of his predecessors experienced during their longer terms. We also don't know what's going to happen here in the latter two years. Sure, fair enough. So, but well, he well he did. So I'm just just saying there. Well, well, there weren't necessarily. So a blatant lie is something like the sky's purple, right? Is that a lie? 100% it's a lie. The sky is not purple. Mm -hmm. Let's make it take it a step further. The sky is green. Mm -hmm. I don't think Joe Biden went out there and said, the sky is green, y'all. No, he didn't lie. And and let me just tell you, the sky is green. What I think he did was something that most presidents do and most politicians do is that they presented the the information in a way that really does kind of pat them on the back, right? Mm -hmm. But then when you get through the... When you really break it down, you can see that it might be a little bit misleading, a little bit this. Sure, let's talk about a blatant that. Lie. So let me tell you what a blatant lie is, Michelle, and I think you'll probably agree with me on this to the last caller who called in who doesn't know what a lie is because he probably still supports Donald Trump. Here's what a blatant lie sounds like. I won the 2020 election in a landslide. The Democrats cheated and Joe Biden is not a legitimate president. That is, ladies and gentlemen, what we call lie. I am under audit. That's why I won't show my tax returns. That is a lie, ladies and gentlemen. Those are two blatant lies. When Joe Biden and Michelle, you know, listen, are there asterisks? Are there things that could have helped Joe Biden when it comes to the low on them? I'm not going to deny that. Sure. But when Joe Biden gives an actual stat and says, we've had the lowest unemployment rate we've had in 50 years, that is factual. That is not a lie. Now, you can say, well, he was helped by this. He was helped by that. It could be a little misleading. You're entitled to your opinions, and you can say, here's an asterisk there, here's an asterisk there. I don't have a problem with that. But when you call into this show and you say, as Michelle pointed out, a blatant lie, which Joe Biden didn't when he said the unemployment rate is lowest it's been in 50 years, 3.4%. We could have a very fair conversation about, well, here's, as Michelle pointed out, here's some things that I think definitely helped Joe Biden. Uh, it could be the population. It could be covid Fair conversations to have. I don't have a problem with that at all. But when somebody without a brain calls into this show, and it does happen from time to time, and says, oh, that Joe Biden, he lied about this, this, this. And when you have absolutely no idea what you're talking about, and by the way, a person that complains about lying is probably the same person who thinks Donald Trump never lied in his life. 702-221-7283 is the number to call. Michelle, what do you say we play some audio clips from last night because I didn't get an opportunity to do that. And uh, I'd like to do that now since we have some of them. Um, So there was a moment in Joe Biden's uh, speech yesterday where Lauren Boebert and Matt Gaetz weren't very happy and it involves taxes. And I want to play that cut for you right now. This is Joe Biden last night uh, in talking about uh, tax cuts. Have a listen to this. The biggest corporations began to pay their fair share. Let's begin I'm a capitalist, but pay your fair share. All right, so Joe Biden's saying he's a capitalist. He wants the major corporations to pay their fair share. A lot of people were standing up and clapping, not a lot of Republicans. Then they showed a picture of Lauren Boebert and uh, Matt Gates, And then Joe Biden talked about the 15% that he thinks these corporations should pay, which a lot of these CEOs of these Fortune 500 companies are not. 
Your yeah. thoughts on that? Um, this is often a difficult uh, topic for the radio, explaining the tax purposes and how companies kind of avoid this. How, and we're talking about really big Fortune 500 companies, companies like Apple and Google, Alphabet, I should say. Um, they're the ones that really come up with these great workarounds. Um, and, and when he was talking about this, as I said before, he was talking about the year 2020. That's what the direct quote was about, which, again, was not a great year. Mm-hmm. Again, this is where we go. You're kind of being misleading. If you're going to tell me anyone had a great year and was just making bank in 2020, you you must be Pfizer because uh, no, nobody else was making great bank. I also feel that sometimes Joe Biden, I, I don't believe Joe Biden is a capitalist. And I do believe that Joe Biden attacks corporate America far too much. And and this is something that wasn't brought up in, in the State of the Union last night. But I think it's important to note, you know, we as a nation have been talking about a looming recession now for four to five years, I believe. And recessions usually happen by surprise. What's been interesting is that here in America, well, let's just say since 2020, since COVID, yep. we've been talking about an impending recession. I don't think we're going to see a, a really great recession here in the next couple of years because we've been preparing for this recession for so long. Yep. One of the ways we've been preparing for this recession is because of corporate America right. and the way that corporate America has been handling things. And far too often, I feel Joe Biden makes corporate America, big pharma, and quite a few of these people the enemy, where at the end of the day, quite honestly, big pharma saved our butts in 2020. Corporations are the reason why we have some of these great job numbers he likes to take credit for so much. So I don't feel like we should be attacking corporations as much as he does. And and here's another thing. He's always talking about wanting to bring manufacturing jobs back here to the U.S. 100%. I think that's something that Americans want to do too. But when he's talking about taxing people and penalizing people so much to bring manufacturing jobs here, it's not going to happen. Think to yourself, for a minute. Why do Disney and Apple, Apple's a great example. Why does Apple kowtow to China so much? So much that they're like, oh, we'll get rid of airdrop when there's things going on. Oh, we'll do this. Why? Because so much of their business is done in China because China doesn't give a rip, doesn't tax them, and allows them to have all these workarounds so that they can make even more money. I will say this, though. If if you get to be consistent on this and you don't think the president should punish companies for you know not uh, keeping business here in the United States or for any political reason, then you should have the same problem with uh, Ron DeSantis punishing companies like Disney that do not agree with some of well, his political beliefs. I don't think beliefs. Ron DeSantis should have done that. And I'm not necessarily sure Ron DeSantis did do that. That's something that he the did. state legislature, no, it's something the legislature Which Ron DeSantis implored, right, uh, but pushed. He, right, he could push it, but that doesn't, right. if it's not a bill... And inappropriate, fine, but it wasn't a bill. It didn't come through, and it didn't go to Ron DeSantis's desk. I can guarantee you that if Disney was it's not as it's not out, a bill. I can. I it can, didn't go to Ron DeSantis's I, desk. I can guarantee you that if uh, if Disney did, was not outspoken against Ron DeSantis when it comes to LBGTQ uh, issues, that uh, Disney would not have been paying as much in taxes. I can guarantee you on that. Let's go back to the phone line seven zero two 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 one seven two eight three. I believe. Let's see who's next here. I believe Danny's next. Hello, Danny. Hey, how are you doing? Good, man. What's on your mind, buddy? Well, just a just an overall comment, okay? And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be real psychological about this. I'm 75 years old. I'm a Vietnam vet. Thank you I'm for your Texas. service. Okay. Just want to clarify. It all seems to be a matter of definitions and clarity in this day and time on the political basis. Hmm. By that I mean one side has its definition of one phrase, and the other side has its own definition of the same phrase. We're working with two sets of, of figures, 
the the right has their figures, the left has their figures. My problem is that the lack of respect on both sides is very lacking at this particular point in time. Did you feel like Joe Biden was disrespectful last night in his speech? Did you give me an example like of a moment? Because uh, I, I, I respect your opinion, and I don't necessarily disagree with you, by the way. Can you give me an example last night where you think the president of the United States was disrespectful? Well, overall, I'm not a Biden fan, okay? I think I, I think he, he, he gets a lot of things confused, and, and that's the political basis that we work on now. What I'm, what I'm trying to clarify is this. Uh, I've been called a moron. I've been called a traitor. I've been called uneducated. And who has the right to clarify and classify what I am? Well, I mean, I, I, here's what I'll say to that. First and foremost, you are obviously a hero. You serve this country honorably, I would assume. And I will always have respect for anybody who does that. With that being said, if somebody said, and I'm not saying you did this, sir. I'm saying in general terms, even if somebody who is a hero says something that I believe that is moronic or ignorant or racist or just flat out wrong, as a radio host, I'm going to point that out. Now, some people might not like that sort of language, and that's fine that you're entitled to your opinion. I'm not calling you that because you haven't said anything like that, at least as far as I know. Um, all I'm simply saying is I don't necessarily disagree with you. There's disrespect on both sides, but in the last 24 hours, in talking about the State of the Union, you can dislike. Guess what? Joe Biden's not my first, second, or third pick either. I didn't think Joe Biden was disrespectful. Joe Biden didn't call anybody any names. You had Republicans in office that stood up and called him a liar and and interrupted his speech. You had Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday that basically called half the country Democrats crazy. That's my definition of disrespect. Now, I'm sure we can come up with examples of Democrats that are disrespectful. I wouldn't deny that. But in the last 24 hours, to me, the disrespect is coming from the right. Okay, I can understand that. All right, I'm I'm with you on that to to an extent. Mm-hmm. Right now, like like I mentioned before, I think that people need to understand that just because we have differences of opinion, and and I'm old school, and I'll be the first one to grant you that. Mm-hmm. But why can't we respect each other's opinions? without putting labels and calling names. That's what I'm saying. Who do you, I I don't disagree. Sir, I don't disagree with you, but who do you think was at the forefront of insults and petty language over the course of the last six or seven years? Who has been the poster child for disrespect? Who attacked our POWs who were captured? I don't respect them because he was captured. Who attacked women based on looks? Who said these Mexicans crossing the border, I suppose some of them are good people, but they're rapists and there's bad people. Who was the one who was insulting a senator's wife based on looks? Who was the one who said blood coming out of wherever? I mean, listen, Again, I I sound like a broken record. I agree with you. There are some Democrats out there that are disrespectful. Ilhan Omar apologized for the statements that she made that I believe were insensitive to those of the Jewish people. How often have you ever heard Donald Trump apologize for anything? The reason why I bring up Donald Trump, even though he's not in office anymore, is he is still the poster child of the Republican Party. And I just find that there are a lot of people these days and far more on the right that are name calling and disrespect than those that are on the left. Again, sir, that's just my personal opinion today. All right. The the thing that sticks in my mind right now and, and, and I'm I'm digressing here somewhat. Okay. 
watching Nancy Pelosi tear up a speech. Yeah, that was disrespectful. On national television. Sure. On national television. Yep. Did she did she apologize for that? No, she sure. did not. So I think that was disrespectful, but I think that is a false analogy to compare a moment where Nancy Pelosi ripped something up where every single day the former president of the United States insulting anybody who disagreed with him. I agree with you that Nancy Pelosi probably shouldn't have done it. You know why? Because it made her look petty and it was stupid. But I could name you thousands and thousands of things that Donald Trump did just in four years that were utterly more disrespectful than that. Well, I disagree with that, okay? You want to compare uh, Nancy Pelosi and being disrespectful to Donald Trump? You really want to compare the two? When when Nancy Pelosi's husband was almost killed, there were people on the right that were making jokes about uh, him getting hammered in the head and almost dying. Did Nancy Pelosi ever do anything like that? No. When, when Scalise was almost killed, it was Nancy Pelosi that was saying thoughts and prayers and we shouldn't, we, we, you know, political violence is awful. But did you hear that from some of these people on the right, like Ted Cruz, with their conspiracy theories and making jokes every single day under donald trump it was donald trump that was attacking somebody and showing disrespect for somebody that disagreed with them he still does it today name calling people you know even people in his own party like ron DeSantis. Uh, I mean, I mean, I don't know how you can listen. I'm not a big Nancy Pelosi fan. Okay. I'm coming from somebody that's not. And yes, ripping up a speech was disrespectful and petty. But how can you compare Nancy Pelosi and quote unquote disrespect to Donald Trump? I, I, I'm sorry, sir. There's no fair equivalency there. I just disagree with you. Well, I'll be real honest with you. We can agree to disagree. Okay. And I, I totally respect your opinion. As I do yours. Uh, I've got my. I, I, and I and I draw my own conclusions based on what what I see. Okay. And I don't feel that the that the current administration has been constructive in what they've done. And uh, I, I see I see certain cracks in the in in the foundation to a point. Okay. But the only thing that that bothers me the most above everything else, is that everybody feels the necessity to call names and label people. What, and what, what that happened? really bothers me. What, if you're saying people, let's talk about politicians. What politicians were doing that yesterday? Can you name me one Democrat that called a Republican a name yesterday? Because I can name you multiple Republicans that called Democrats names yesterday. Oh, I've... I've, I've I've watched it all uh, uh, ever. Now I did not watch the speech last night. Okay, I was not able to watch okay. it because because I was I was working. Okay. Uh, the situation is is that right now there is no common ground, and and that's what we have to find is the common ground where we can start moving. I agree. Forward and well, and, listen, and and I and I, uh, I agree with your sentiments, sir. And I appreciate your service to this country, Danny. And I, God bless you for working at your age. You sound like a nice man and a hardworking man. And I do appreciate you calling in. And I do believe these are more conversations that people need to have. And I, and I don't necessarily disagree with you, sir. And I appreciate you calling in. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a good day, Michelle. Sure. You thank too. You. Uh, God bless him. How old did he say he was, Michelle? 75. I think. Wow. And he's still working. I love that. All right. So I got a that. point of clarification. Yes. I looked it up while you were all were going back and forth. Yes. So, I want to correct myself because you know I like to correct myself if I misspeak or if mm -hmm. I'm wrong. Yep. So the Florida legislature did pass something, and 
Mm-hmm. DeSantis signed it, and it was about Disney World's special status. Now, here's what's interesting. So they did revoke it. But if we're into having big major companies pay their fair share, we should be actually glad that this happened because this special designation meant that Disney as a theme park could make its own decisions on the planning and permitting process for construction on its properties, levy taxes to pay for it if its own fire and medical response service teams, and even generate some of its own electricity. Through that status, the company saved millions of dollars annually in fees and taxes, according to experts. I still think it was petty. I agree agree with you on that but and i was wrong it did indeed happen I so just, i want to correct that i appreciate but that. i am saying that at the end of the day if we if you want to say that you want companies to pay their fair share giving disney a break like okay. this was not necessarily a good thing so was it here's here, here's my opinion on that ron DeSantis did not do this because he wants quote big companies to pay their fair share he did this because he is petty and this is what a dictator does. Oh, they don't like me. They don't like this policy. I'm going to get them. That's what Ron DeSantis did. And that is my issue with that. 702. Why don't we play another cut? In speaking about the deficit, here's what Joe Biden said, Michelle, about the deficit now compared to when Donald Trump was president. Have a listen to this. The last two years, my administration has cut the deficit by more than $1.7 trillion. <laughs> The largest deficit reduction in American history. <laughs> Under the previous administration, the American deficit went up four years in a row. Because those record deficits, no president added more to the national debt in any four years than my predecessor. Nearly 25% of the entire national debt that took over 200 years to accumulate was added by just one administration alone, the last one. They're the facts. Check it out. Check it out. All right. Check it out. Is he lying, Michelle? Well, I think we've already discussed this. So this is this is something we're just kind of rehashing something we did before. He part of the reason why he cut the deficits is not because he's cut spending because he has not cut spending. He's increased spending. It's because so many of the covid uh, spending that increased the deficit had mm-hmm. expired. So it's a little, uh, is it a lie? Not necessarily. Is it disingenuous? Maybe. Is it taking credit for things that he shouldn't be taking credit for? Yes. Let's just be very, very clear. Um, whether we're talking about W, whether we're talking about Obama, whether we're talking about Trump or Biden, none of them have done a good job at curbing spending curbing the debt, curbing the deficit. None of them have. And it's not a priority for any of them. Let's just be very clear. So we're going to skip cut three, Mark, and we're going to go to cut four. And in this cut, uh, we're going to be, because we've already talked about Social Security and Medicare. We belabored that point with some calls, by the way. Uh, But I want to talk a little bit about uh, when Joe Biden mentioned just companies in general, whether Mm -hmm. it be a phone company, (laughs) that take advantage of people. And this is actually a moment where Republicans and Democrats stood up and clapped. Have a listen to this. 200 or more if you decide to switch to another provider. Give me a break. We can stop service fees on tickets to concerts and sporting events and make companies disclose all the fees up front. And we'll prohibit airlines from charging $50 round trip for family just to be able to sit together. Baggage fees are bad enough. Airlines can't treat your child like a piece of baggage. Americans are tired of being... We're tired of being played for suckers. So pass. All right, so so there was... There was nothing... 
that there was nothing partisan about that statement. Um, and he's right. You know, there are companies that will fleece people. He was mentioning, you know, the cell phone companies where if you go to another provider, they charge you $50. That's a load of crap. Republicans and Democrats did stand up and clap for that. I don't know anybody that would disagree with that. Airlines, you know this as I do, you know, right? Airline companies that take advantage of people, you know, cheap airfare, right? And then you got to spend more money for your carry-on than you do the flight. Yeah, I mean, this was kind of, this was, if I'll give Joe Biden a compliment or credit, I'll say that this was very clever on his part. You know, you know, the majority of my television career, um, it was focused on consumer advocacy issues. Um, consumer advocacy is something everybody kind of agrees on, right? And if you're going to ask people, do they want to pay these extra baggage fees? Do they want to have to pay, you know, you, you get the cheap flight on spirit, right? And you think you're saving money because it was only a hundred bucks, but then you get there and you have to charge you know, pay 30 bucks for your purse, 30 bucks for your bag, 30 bucks for your other bag, 30 bucks for peanuts, 30 bucks for a glass of water. It wasn't such a cheap flight anymore. Oh, and if they screw you over and they cancel your flight, you're stuck in some redneck, you know, air, air, airport forever. Um, it's really unfair. This was a great thing to tackle on. I think it would be great for Congress to do some things for more consumer advocacy. I'm a big believer of consumer advocacy. Yet at the same time, um, he said some things that were kind of crazy because he was bringing up non-competes and claiming that people who work at fast food restaurants were being penalized by non-competes, which is not the case whatsoever. Whereas someone like myself was and has been penalized by non-competes. And I think non-competes are completely unjust for example, when I left TV to run for Congress, I left of my own free will. I had to pay my TV station to break my contract. And yet they then were able to lord over me for over a year, an inability to work or to uh, to get jobs just because I had signed a contract with them. Mm-hmm. Non-competes are completely and utterly unethical. And, and Joe Biden didn't even know what he was talking about when he was bringing up freaking burger joints. There, There's no non-compete. Right. If you work at McDonald's, you can go freaking work at Burger King if you well, want Well, I, I think I, I just, in, in ending this, uh, I just want to say that I think that was a nice moment where I think Republicans and Democrats did agree. Why don't we go back to the phone calls? I think we have Cyrus on the line. Number to call 702-221-7283 if you want to be a part of the call uh let's go to cyrus hello cyrus are you there cyrus the virus are you there okay i think we lost cyrus so let's dump cyrus and let's go to tom i believe tom is next on the line again that number 702-221-7283 you got to be ready to go if you're calling into the show let's go to tom tom are you there tom go ahead hello i think he's there uh, I hear somebody there. Hello. Hello. Yes, go ahead, sir. Do you hear me? Yes, sir. I Loud and clear. Go ahead. Okay, this is Cyrus. Um, okay, so there's a few things that I didn't uh, hear uh, from the State of the Union on the best of my knowledge okay. that I thought they were very important. Okay. Uh, and uh, if I may go on, five points. One is the labor force participation rate. No mention about that for... 25 to 54 year olds, because that's very important. Uh, no mention on what caused the inflation, because we know that the COVID lockdowns had an effect to it with the supply chain. Hold on, hold on. Let me stop you. Hold on. Let me stop you there, and then I'll let you continue. He did mention the cause of inflation. He mentioned the war in Ukraine. He talked about Russia and that war in Vladimir Putin. And of course, he talked about COVID. Those are the two main reasons why we've had inflation. So when you say he didn't mention okay. the causes, that's just not factually accurate. He did. Okay, okay. I, I didn't hear that. My apologies. But I was hoping 
I'd hear an update on. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. You listened to the entire speech, right, sir? Cyrus? You listen, uh, you watch the yeah. whole speech. Okay. You're yeah. telling me in that speech, you didn't, you don't remember or recall him talking about the war in the Ukraine or COVID? <laughs> uh, is this a no, serious I call? I didn't hear that. Oh, okay. I did hear that. I did hear that. Well, you just okay. said you didn't. You just, I, those I are wished, the. Co- yeah. I, I thought, I Cyrus, you were going to say that you believed in that depth. inflation was caused by excessive spending and so that you didn't hear him take ownership that okay. excessive spending caused inflation, chain. but you yes. didn't go there. So I was going to try to bail you out with that one. On, okay. and, on the, and on the supply chains, I didn't hear a whole lot of him talking about that. Now, another issue he didn't talk about was the housing bubble and the fact yeah. that, remember, when Obama got elected, we had a financial crisis. <laughs> And how he was going to prevent another 2008 meltdown. No mention of, from what I know, holding Wall Street and the Federal Reserve accountable. No mention about why we're having towns along the border that are being overrun by migrants. I hope that's not true, but that's what I'm hearing. And the fact that, well, you know, speaking of that, the state wants to, of Nevada, wants to expand Medicaid to include uh, people regardless of their immigration status. Okay, so let me ask you a question. If... um if you have somebody who is undocumented that is dying or is in dear need of medical attention, do you not think we should help them? Well, they can get help. It's just they can pay it through their own pocket. Okay, but how are I mean, you going to do what, that if you don't have money? Okay, well, how, what's going to happen if we have millions that come over and demand okay, care? So Who's going to pay for it? You, you know what the problem is, though? And I think this is what he's not... Uh, alluding to in a, in a really eloquent way. So uh, I know a lady here in town who recently had a, she's 60 years old. She had a terrible fall. She had a horrible break in her leg and in her back and she needs home health. She's not on Medicaid because she's not Medicare. She's not old enough. She's not on Medicaid because she doesn't qualify for that. And she's really not eligible for any of the care that she needs. And she's kind of like stuck on her own, even though she has insurance yet uh, there are people who, come over here illegally, they're working here illegally, they are not U.S. citizens, yet they can get the full care that they need. Ultimately, the system is broken. And the Democrats say the answer to this problem is, well, let's just have socialized Medicare for all, and that would solve the problem. I would argue that will not solve the problem. problem. It will just make care go down and costs go up. But there is a problem. I don't think anyone's saying if somebody's in need that they shouldn't get the help they need. No, obviously they should. The question is, is why do some people get it for free and other people don't and and, and brian yeah, you and i both and know because you know we 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 pay for our own health care we pay out of pocket we're not yeah. we're not getting it from our employers uh, it, it's not fair and we need to make yeah. the system I wanna, better i, I understand okay? cyrus i want to add this um listen in every state of the union there's going to be things in there that you wish the president spoke about that he didn't there's things i wish he spoke more yeah. about the chinese balloon right but you know, I agree. But but here are the important things that he spoke about that I believe are top of the list here. Obviously, he talked about the economy. He talked about Medicare. He talked uh, about COVID. Uh, he also spoke about police brutality and, 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 and police training. He spoke about taxes. So I think for the most part, in general terms, he touched on yeah. a lot of really important issues. I understand what you're saying. There are certain things that he could br- bring up and more things that, you know, maybe he should have, quite because, frankly, brought up. But Because uh, we did not. We elected Obama to tackle the greed on Wall Street. Glass-Steagall has not been returned. And we have a lot of signs that show Las Vegas is going to suffer a similar fate 
that it did about 15 years ago. And that was devastating. And we're seeing prices go down. And you, to re- regarding your Medicaid point, I appreciate you giving me these good points. But why do we have Nevada legislatures, which I can show you, they're blocking me on Twitter. Okay, well, I, mean, I, I, can't, I, I can't speak to that. Uh, listen, sir, I really do appreciate you calling in, and I think you bring up some good points. i got to get to some other callers. What did he say about the Nevada legislature uh, on Twitter? Somebody, I don't know, somebody <laughs> blocked him on Twitter. I'm not even going to address that because okay. people blocked me. Chachi blocked me on Twitter, but we're not going to talk about that. 702-221-7283. Let's go to Juan. Juan is next up on Pushing the Limits. Hi, Juan. Thanks for calling in. What's on your mind? A lot of things, but I'm just going to keep it short and simple, I think. Okay. Long story short, I am a Mexican. I was born in Mexico, moved to Kansas City back in 2005 Yeah. uh, with my green card. Then, you know, it turns out that since my dad became a citizen, before I turned 19, I automatically got the citizenship. Therefore, I can vote. I am... Not completely into the whole politics kind of thing, but I vote whenever I think it might make a difference. The thing that bothers me really, really bad about a certain red hat cult or party, whatever you want to call it, they keep saying, don't let them illegal vote. First off, you call yourself an American, but you can't, you don't know the rules. You don't know the laws. You don't know what you have to have in order to vote. Mm-hmm. And then when they say they don't pay taxes, uh, excuse me, they actually do pay taxes. Maybe not income taxes, right? but they pay taxes on everything else. Juan, I can tell you right now, I'm on your side. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I'm on your side, Juan, and I agree with you. Some some Republicans, see, I'm going to talk like Joe yeah. Biden. Now. Some Republicans seem to think that if you're undocumented, it doesn't matter that without an ID, you could just show up to the voter booth and vote. And you're absolutely right. That is not the case. I'm with you. And that's what irks me. Yeah. Because I know people look at me like down, look down at me like yeah. if I'm like trash or something. Juan, like, where do you live? Dude. If you don't mind me asking, where are you right now? Where do you live? Kansas City. Oh, okay. Kansas City. Um, great, great town, by the way. I've been there before. And uh, I got to oh, say, hey. man, uh, I, I feel for people. You seem like a really nice guy. Uh, certainly, we have a crisis at the border. With that being said, as I try to say over and over again, Juan, uh, when mm-hmm. Trump said these people, they're rapists, they're bad people, and I suppose some of them are good people. No, Mr. President, it's the opposite. These people are good people. The majority of them want a better life for themselves. We need to figure out how to make this thing work. And yes, a very small percentage of you are not good people. And I don't want those people here. But the overwhelming majority of you people, and I use the term you people in a nice way, are seeking asylum. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's that's yeah, how I, I feel. I totally understand. Like, yeah. if I know somebody who's undocumented and they're, you know, out there driving drunk, crashing, right. hurting other people, okay, get the F out. Agree. Get out. We yeah. really don't need you, sure. to, need you to tarnish or image yeah. in the place where they already look down upon Agree. Us. Juan, like, I'll, I'll you're say not it. Helping. You're right. Juan, I'll say it like this, my man. I'm glad you're in this country, my friend. I, I, we need We need more people like you here, and I appreciate you calling in so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. Absolutely. I just find you on TikTok. Love you. Got to yourself a no follower. See you around. Thanks, Juan. I appreciate that. So does that mean Juan is following Michelle or Bryant? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, which, <laughs> which which person is he? Hey, either way, I'm happy. Juan seemed like a really good guy. Yeah. Um, you know, he makes some good points here. Listen, um, I want to close by doing this, Michelle. Okay. This was the end of Joe Biden's speech yesterday. 
and it wasn't partisan. And maybe you tell me if you disagree. This was the end of uh, Joe Biden's speech last night. Have a listen to this. Americans want common sense from their leaders. That's Huckabee. Uh, We'll play that in a moment. Cut five. We want cut five. I'm not new to this place. I stand here tonight having served as long as about any one of you have ever served here. (laughs) But I've never been more optimistic about our future, about the future of America. We just have to remember who we are. We're the United States of America, and there's nothing, nothing beyond our capacity if we do it together. God bless you all, and may God protect our truth. All right, so pretty good message there. Uh, this is uh, just a part of uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, who spoke uh, after Americans want common sense from their leaders, but in Washington, the Biden administration is doubling down on crazy. President Biden inherited the fastest economic recovery on record, the most secure border in history, cheap, abundant, homegrown energy, fast rising wages, a rebuilt military, and a world that was stable and at peace. But over the last two years, Democrats destroyed it all. Despite Democrats' trillions in reckless spending and mountains of debt, we now have the worst border crisis in American history. As a mom, my heart breaks for every parent Mm. who has lost a son or daughter to addiction. Mm A hundred thousand Americans a year are now killed from drug overdoses. All right. So I just quickly, and then I want you to respond, Michelle, but, uh, Last I checked, January 6th wasn't much stability and wasn't much peace there, uh, number one. Number two, uh, she's claiming that Democrats ruined it all and they're responsible for everything. And number three, again, another Republican that wants to talk about drug overdoses. But during the Trump administration, we lost close to 300,000 people. And I never heard Sarah Huckabee Sanders talking about those people. So it's all partisan BS as far as I'm concerned from her. Um and, you know, she talks about culture wars and then she wants to uh, talk about critical race theory and – the point I'm trying to make is Joe Biden, at least in the last few minutes of his speech, uh, tried to bring people together. So I only have like two minutes before we have to end the show. So I'll just quickly say, yes, uh, Joe Biden's last line was a good line. He's the president of the United States. It's political speech. He had to end on a good line. Um, as Daniel Lippman from Politico said earlier on the show, um, the Republican response is not a unifying speech. It is not a speech that is there to win anyone over. It is a Republican response. It is a partisan speech. That is what Sarah Huckabee Sanders gave. Um, as a Republican myself, I agreed with everything she said. I liked what she said. I like Sarah Huckabee Sanders you do not. That is why you have a visceral response to what she said. That's why I did not have a visceral response to what she said. Um, It was what it was. And as Daniel Lippman also said, that's what it was. It's a partisan response and nothing more. The majority of people do not even watch the partisan response that is a good 30 minutes after the speech. It is there for Republicans and Republicans only. She's an uppercomer in the party. She probably will be running for much higher office again in the near future. This was her time to shine. And as far as Republican responses go, hers was better than Rubio's. Uh, I remember he had the water incident. Um, you know, Tim Scott did really well at the last one, you know, but oftentimes people really just screw up horribly with these. I don't think she had a screw up. Yeah, I, I, Republican or Democrat, regardless of personal feelings, uh, 
anybody who says half the country is crazy because they differ in a different political party is it's idiotic in my opinion and it's you know um part of that speech also is you, you want to get some independents maybe even some democrats to but they cross weren't over. listening they um, weren't listening well they played this, it this is a very partisan where, speech and that's the republican response which was 30 yeah. minutes afterward and so most people don't even care so michelle here's why i disagree with you they played it on msnbc live they played it on cnn live so but most people don't even watch basic cable anymore okay well i mean listen. so i mean I'm just being honest. I mean, I spent my life working in TV news for the most major networks in the country. I can tell you the audience is not there. Okay. Well, I did. (laughs) I watched (laughs) it. No one was watching. Anyway, I watched it. Uh, But uh, anyway, Michelle, thank you uh, for being here. Appreciate all the phone calls and good, lively debate, good discussion, which is what we always try to do here on Pushing the Limits. By the way, you can find me. And you can email me, you can find me, you can Twitter me. Is that what it's called? Twitter somebody? Uh, and tomorrow we got Thomas Moskal in studio. I haven't had him in studio here with me in a while. So, uh, Michelle, appreciate you being here as always. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, I know the listeners appreciate it as well, even those that disagree with you uh, or disagree with me. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, we will see you tomorrow, same time, same place. Thanks to Mark everybody here at KSHP. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a good one.